sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. It has been truly alarming to me to see how much attention is now being paid to the willingness of Americans to contemplate violence as part of the political process because of the divisiveness in our society. And we're going to talk about that today, but I'm reminded of what Jesus said on the very night that he was taken and interrogated and ultimately crucified. When Peter was ready to defend him and Jesus said, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Our guest today, Peter Montgomery, senior fellow at People for the American Way. Peter, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thanks very much for having me. At least in my lifetime, we really haven't seen a tendency towards political violence here in the United States. We see it in other countries. What is it that the researchers and, uh, and media have been reporting on about the increased willingness of Americans to contemplate violence as a political tool? Yeah, just a few weeks ago, the Public Religion Research Institute, which is one of the best calling up efforts on sort of religion and values and politics, uh, found that about three in 10 Republicans believe that violence might be justified to, quote, save our country, and that that number goes up to uh, almost 40% among people who believe that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump. So that's a pretty frightening number, uh, but it's also it's consistent with the poll that was taken uh, you know, back just after Biden took office. And there was a survey back then by the American Enterprise Institute, a conservative think tank, that found um, about three in 10 Americans, including 39% of Republicans, agreeing that, um, as they phrased it, if elected leaders will not protect America, the people must do it themselves, even if it requires violent actions. So those are dramatic and, I agree with you, very troubling numbers. And, and to be clear, because the focus of this show is on religious freedom and church-state relationships, it's not just saving America in some secular sense, but there's a strong sort of religious strain to this idea of saving America as a Christian nation, isn't there? There's very much so. In, in fact, the rhetoric of the stolen election, I think, Part of why that rhetoric was has such fertile ground among a lot of politically active conservative Christians is that a lot of rhetoric from religious right leaders over the years has been to tell Christians that this country was created by and for them, and that it has been stolen from them by liberal judges, secular humanists, feminists. You know, there's a, a whole list of enemies. But the idea that um, this is meant to be a Christian country mm -hmm. and that it's being stolen from people is a very central part of a lot of religious right rhetoric. And one of the, a guy named David Lane, who's a Christian nationalist political operative who's active in, in the Republican Party, you know, he just says flat out that, that Christianity and secularism are, uh, cannot both survive. They cannot live together. 
And and I think that that is a dangerous attitude, but it's unfortunately um, been pretty widespread. Well, as we're recording today, the news has been reporting some comments from Michael Flynn about America needing to be one nation under God, one religion, etc. That's in the same vein, isn't it? It certainly is. And, you know, I am a real advocate of religious freedom and religious liberty and believe that church-state separation is a protector of religious freedom for all Americans. And I think you and I would agree on a lot of things. We might disagree on where some lines are drawn on, on this or that issue. But I think the, the idea that um, someone like Michael Flynn is saying, if we're going to survive as a nation, we have to be one religion, that is really an un-American comment. It's an un-American thought. You know, religious freedom and religious pluralism is at the heart of what I think it means to be an American. And I find it really disturbing to, to hear that kind of rhetoric um, embraced by anyone who's who's a political actor. And unfortunately, Michael Flynn has a very strong following among the Stop the Steal crowd uh, who, are, who are still out there. Well, and, you know, before I went to law school, I studied a lot of the history of religious freedom as an undergrad. And the First Amendment was an outgrowth from the First Great Awakening where you had an explosion of new churches. It wasn't just the old, you know, Anglican church or, you know, the Puritan establishments in New England. You had Baptists, you had Methodists, you had Presbyterians, and, and all these new, new light evangelical-type communities. And, uh, I mean, the genius was how do we all live together with our differing beliefs in one country? That was at the heart of why we have disestablishment of the churches and, and separating government from from financially supporting churches and being involved in, in church governance and what have you, uh, not just at the federal level, but in every one of the colonies and early American states. This was a universal process of, of kicking religion off on its own to be voluntary and not you know, closely associated with government. And it's just, yeah, I share with you how appalling it is to have leaders saying, yeah, we all have to be the same religion. Well, who gets to decide? You know, is Michael Flynn going to decide for me what I'm supposed to believe? Uh, I don't think so. And I think, you know, forgive me, I'm getting on a rant here, but our, our American tendency, and I've said this so often in connection with, you know, the reluctance of Americans to follow vaccine mandates is if the government says you've got to do something, you know, it's our birthright to say, yeah, try and make me. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if somebody's going to say this is, this is the American religion, um, an awful lot of Americans are going to say, uh, no, it's not mine. It's just how we are as a people. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's very clear that the founders could have written Christianity into the Constitution if they wanted to, and they did not. You know, they explicitly, Thomas Jefferson wrote, you know, about how explicitly the Virginia Statute on Religious Freedom and the First Amendment, um, you know, extended religious protection not only to every sect of Christianity, but to Jews and Hindus and Muslims and and Catholics. And and I think he used the phrase infidels of every denomination or something like that. But uh, (laughs) yes, and and so, you know, of course, mentioning the Catholics is a really good example of when we say, okay, we're going to have one religion. It's not as if Christianity is one thing, right? 
one of the benefits of, of disestablishment, one of the benefits of separation of church and state, there is a flourishing of religion that comes with religious freedom in, this, in the United States. And so we have so many different expressions of Christianity, some of which would not recognize each other as authentically Christian, but that's okay because we don't want the government deciding who's authentically Christian. Exactly. But this penchant for violence, this is a new thing. And, and of course, January 6th, there was a very strong religious element to the violence that took place then, wasn't there? There was. And I, I would say, let's think a little bit about the um, it being a new thing when we look back in our history and see how religious language and Christianity itself was used to justify the violence of slavery and the violence of Jim Crow and other horrifying things in our past. So that's, you know, there have been some scholars recently who've written a lot about the role of racism within the white evangelical church and the role that has played in our history. So there's a lot to digest there. But I do think it's particularly, you know, troubling right now to have religious leaders, you know, using rhetoric about rising up using rhetoric about being prepared for civil war. Um, and I will say, it is not just in the wake of the 2020 election that that happened. Um, back in 2016, I was at um, uh, one of the main religious right political conferences it takes place here in Washington, D.C., the Values Voters Summit. And I sat there while a sitting governor, Kentucky Governor Matt Bevin, told the crowd that if Hillary Clinton was elected, it might require conservatives to shed some blood in order to preserve freedom. And, uh, you know, I was stunned by that and wrote about it at the time. Uh, but, you know, we have, we've seen and heard a lot of that in the last few years. Well, and just recently, one of our congressmen has been widely criticized for a video portraying violence against Nancy Pelosi and against Biden, right? Yeah, that's uh, Paul Gosar of Arizona tweeted out a, a video that was sort of a you know mock-up of an animation that showed him uh, I think cutting the head off of Congresswoman Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and you know and and um, there's this penchant among people on the right, particularly the the alt right and some of the white nationalist right, that they kind of say everything they you know they they put their ideology out there, but then they sort of do it in a in a seemingly humorous way or they claim that it's a joke and then. So Gosar says, oh, people should lighten up. This was obviously a joke. But meanwhile, he's he's putting those violent images out there. And meanwhile, you know, images of and ideologies of anti-Semitism are put out there. And then people say, oh, it's just a joke or you know, violent uh, racist language or anti-immigrant language that has stoked uh, mass killings is put out there. It's really, it's not a joke. And the amount of rhetoric that is uh, you know, stoking people up for, for some kind of civil war in this country is really frightening. I think a lot of people that do that have no idea how horrific a civil war would be. Well, we do know that there were several people who actually died as a result of the events of January 6th. So, no, this is not a joke. And I guess I would just tell our listeners, this political divisiveness you know, we all have a right to our our different political beliefs and values, but we share one country, and we've got to figure out a way to work together for the common good. We really do. And demonizing one another just is just not going to help. And it certainly 
for Christians completely inconsistent with the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Peter, I'm just, I'm appalled at how readily Americans will take the name of Jesus and like to be identified as Christian or identified as evangelical and yet be completely dismissive of the teachings of Jesus. Yes, I know that millions of Christians in this country and around the world do not recognize the Jesus that is promoted by a lot of prominent religious and political leaders, and they don't recognize the Bible and the way it's used. I mean, one of the things that, you know, seems is troubling about, from my perspective, during the Trump administration, is that someone like Paula White, who was a longtime spiritual advisor to Trump, used her position as a White House aide to really, to engage in that demonizing where she literally called Trump's opponents demonic, uh, where she used her platform at the White House to engage in, in fear-mongering to get, they want to take our churches, they want to take our freedoms, they want to take everything. Conservative Christians to vote for Trump and saying, you know, I think when you realize how many people were hearing that rhetoric and the idea that if Joe Biden were elected, it would literally mean the end of religious freedom in this country, it would literally mean the end of the republic. Well, if you told that by people you trust and the people who you see as religious figures, you know, why wouldn't you be willing to take extreme action if you really thought that Joe Biden was going to be the end of freedom in America and the end of religious liberty? So I think I think in the wake of, of the violence that we saw on January 6th, I think it's important for political as well as religious leaders to think about the rhetoric and the impact it has. Our religious leaders are particular because people give them a particular moral authority. People who believe that they are, um, in some sense, speaking on behalf of God. I got to cut you off. We're long overdue. Our guest today, Peter Montgomery, from People for the American Way, we've been talking about religiously inspired political violence. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, we'll let freedom ring.